All right, get your Bibles, get your Bibles, and turn with me to Joshua chapter 3. Turn, click, however you get there. If you don't have a Bible, you don't know where Joshua chapter 3 is, don't worry. We're going to put everything on the screen, and while we're turning, we also want to welcome all of those doing church online today. So welcome all of those who are who are watching in, whether that's via uh, Facebook or, or mypathway.church. We want to welcome you. Uh, can we welcome church online? It's always great to be joined, and... and uh, and I won't say it yet, but we're working on something to launch after the first of the year using our technology um, that's pretty crazy. And so just hold up for that. It, it'll be headed that way. So anyways, uh, we are in a series. We've been in a series of messages called Here, There, and Everywhere. We've been talking about the presence of God. Talking about, and, and this is what I said was kind of the, the touchdown, if you will, the goal of this series was that if, if I could convince you to remain cognizant that God's presence is, is always present, right? That his presence is always present, that, that God is wherever you are. In fact, he got there first, right? And when you leave, he will still be there, but he will also be with you and also be where you're going. And so if I could just convince you to, to be cognizant or aware, conscientious of the fact that God's presence is here, there, and everywhere, then, then I would be winning, <clears throat> And so this week we're in Joshua chapter Joshua chapter three, and this was really not a message that I was planning to put in the series. I had a different one. This happens to me a lot. Like I plan and I work, and then God says no, and then I'm like, but I thought it was your idea. I don't know. I know God never changes, but sometimes I feel like He changes His mind. No, not really at all. But anyways, uh, Joshua chapter 3, we were actually a couple weekends ago, uh, the, we have an elders retreat uh, for our elder team. We go every year and we seek God and uh, we get direction for the next year. And, and when we were, we were there seeking the Lord, I really felt like God said, I want you to go to Joshua chapter 3. And I began to read Joshua chapter 3 and it really became prophetic in that what God was speaking about our church. And now I'm not going to share that with you. I shared that with the elders, but God began to speak even more to me that I need to share with you out of Joshua chapter 3. So I'm going to read uh, the whole chapter of Joshua chapter 3. It's only 17 verses and I'm not going to apologize since we are in church. I'm not going to apologize for reading God's word to you since we're actually in church, right? I can't think of anyone better to hear from than God. And so um, Joshua chapter 3, verse 1, it says, early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites set out from Shittim. You want to make sure and get the long I sound on Shittim. If, if, if you don't, it, it completely changes the context of what's going on here. Um, <laughs> set out from Shittim and went to the Jordan uh, where they camped before crossing over. After three days, the, the officers went throughout the camp giving orders to the people. When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the Levitical priests carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. Just turn to your neighbor and say, follow the Ark. You want to follow the Ark, yeah. Then you will know which way to go since you have never been this way before. But keep a distance of about 2,000 cubits, about 1,000 yards between you and the ark. Do not go near it. So Joshua told the people, consecrate yourselves uh, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. 
And then Joshua said to the priests, take up the ark of the covenant and pass on ahead of the people. So they took it up and went ahead of them. And the Lord said to Joshua, today I will begin to exalt you in the eyes of all Israel so they may know that I am with you as I was with Moses. Tell the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant, when you reach the edge of the Jordan's waters, go and stand in the river. And Joshua said to the Israelites, come here and listen to the word of the Lord your God. This is how you will know. Everybody say, this is how you will know. This is how you will know that the living God is among you and that he will certainly drive out before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hevites, the Perizzites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, the Jebusites, the Bossites, the Furites, the Deadites, the Depressionites, the Sicknessites, and the Cellulites. Verse 11, see the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth will go into the Jordan ahead of you. Now then choose 12 men from the tribes of Israel, one from each tribe. And as soon as the priests who are carrying the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, set foot in the Jordan, its waters flowing downstream will be cut off and stand up in a heap. Verse 14. So when the people broke camp across the Jordan, the priests carrying the ark of the covenant went ahead of them. Now the Jordan is at flood stage all during harvest. Yet as soon as the priests who carried the ark reached the Jordan at their feet and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. And it piled up in a heat a great distance away at a town called Adam in the vicinity of Zeratan. While the water was flowing down to the sea of, of, of it's the Dead Sea, was completely cut off. So the people crossed over opposite Jericho. And the priests who carried the ark of the covenant of the Lord stopped in the middle of the Jordan and stood on dry ground. All of Israel passed until the whole nation had completed crossing on dry ground. I, um, I, called, I called this message, Waiting Out of Doubt's Shadow. Waiting Out of Doubt's Shadow. Can we pray? God, we are so um, in awe of you today. And God, it was amazing to come into your presence in worship and sense your love, God, overflowing uh, our lives and uh, God, now we, we just turn our focus and our ear to whatever your spirit would want to say to us. And God, we know when you speak, things change. And God, we change and we are transformed. And when you speak, God, doubt dissipates and, and fear flees and faith arises. And so God, that's what we ask for in these moments together in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Here, there, and everywhere, talking about the presence of God. Uh, when I read this text, I noticed something, and that was that uh, the Ark, and I'll tell you more about the Ark in a minute, but the Ark of the Covenant is, is, is kind of given a spotlight in this text, and uh, it's mentioned nine times in, in 18 verses. And I began to think about the presence of God, and I began to think about God's presence leading us into promise. And, and then I begin to think, well, let's talk about what's going on. I, I kind of like to look when I'm studying, I like to try to look through as many filters and as many angles. Like I think, what would it like to, what, what would it be like to be Joshua? What would it be like to be, you know, one of, one of the, one of the generals, if you will, what would it be like to be one of the priests? I kind of start just thinking, and then I think about what, what was it saying to me and what's it saying to everyone? And, and I just started thinking. And, and so to get, to get in the context, Joshua is, is, is first of all, Joshua is 60 years old. Um, and, and, and um, Moses is dead. And, and 
that's really where we're at. And Joshua is 20 years old when they left Egypt. So we know the children of Israel were in slave, slavery about 430 years uh, to the Egyptians and Moses. Some people are more familiar with Charlton Heston. Some generations more familiar with the Prince of Egypt. So whichever storyline uh, you understand, but Moses was the guy with the stick that said, let my people go. And God sent 10 plagues. And finally, Pharaoh said, we will pay you to, to leave. And they left. And Joshua was 20 years old when they left. And then at at 22, uh, two years uh, later, he is one of the 12 spies who goes into uh, this land of promise, Canaan, uh, to spy it out. And we know he and his kind of counterpart, uh, our cohort, Caleb, come back and they're like, hey, we can take the land. But the other 10 spies uh, said, there is no way. We, we're we're going to get our, our, our hind end handed to us. And by the way, one thing you, when you study scripture, you find most of the time the majority is always wrong. And, you know, I don't know how you can apply that. It's just something. I mean, the majority wanted to crucify Jesus. The majority said we can't go into the promise. I'm just, if you just follow it, you'll just find out going with the flow usually is not the way to go. And, and I'm not a rapper, but it rhymed. And so anyways, um, but you know, so, so anyways, he, he's, he's 60. Moses is, is dead. Uh, Joshua 22 goes in and comes in. Yeah, and then they spend 38 more years in the wilderness while a generation dies out. And now we come back to the edge of the promised land to the Jordan River. Joshua is 60 years old. Moses is now dead. Uh, before he left, he anointed Joshua to take over. Joshua was Moses' right-hand man during these times. Um, he, he was kind of his assistant. He hung with him. He learned from him. Uh, but I could just imagine there might be a little bit of doubt because what we know is the older generation that had seen the Red Sea crossing, they have all expired. They, they have passed away. Um, and, and the ones that saw the blood, you know, the Nile turn into blood and the frogs come out of everywhere and the locusts and, and all of those are now, if you will, their folklore more so than known fact. And they've been walking around in the wilderness for 38 years, and we have a generation that have never seen the promised land, except for Joshua and Caleb. And so I could just imagine Joshua and Caleb are all the time telling the stories. Well, yeah, I remember. Man, I remember the locusts. And I'll tell you, I remember the first Passover and, and, and the death of the firstborn. And, and I remember, you know, the, the battles. And I remember the Red Sea crossing. And, and, and I think you probably have a generation that was like, Moses is going to lead us into the promise. And now Moses is dead. And the cloud, by the way, is gone. Because they were guided with a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. Cloud's gone. Moses is gone. And while they're not under the shadow of a cloud anymore, they probably are under the shadow of doubt some. Like, is there really a promise? Can we really get there? How do we get there? Moses is gone. Did he leave a map for Joshua? Like, does Joshua really have a plan? Or is he just posing a little bit and, and trying to convince us? And so now with all of that, they're on the edge of, of the Jordan. It's really, if you think about it, it's a time of transition from, from Moses to Joshua. You could even say it this way, from law to, to grace, um, from one generation to another, from consolation to conquest, from wandering, now they're going to cross over into warfare, from the cloud into the ark. Now, now they're not going to be led by a cloud, they're going to be led by this thing called the ark of the covenant. 
It's something God gave instructions to Moses for 38 years ago when he was on Mount Sinai and he commissioned its building. It's, it's a box. It's a wooden box. It's about two and a half foot tall, two and a half foot wide, uh, four foot or, or deep, and then, and then four, roughly four foot long. It's, it's wooden. It's, it has a big heavy lid that's overlaid with gold. It has these two angels bowed down. That's called the mercy seat. That's where God's presence is supposed to dwell. And, and then it has these acacia poles that run through the rings on the corner and it's now carried on on the shoulders of of the priest and inside the ark what's inside well there's a rod of Aaron that budded long after it'd been chopped off a tree right Um, and then there's a a jar of manna and then there's the tablets that have the ten commandments and now we don't have a cloud but we have an ark and and we have and we have the priests and and now here we are on the edge of the Jordan just beyond the Jordan is this land we've heard of flowing with milk and honey and big clusters of grapes and surely some peanut butter somewhere and you cannot have promised land without peanut butter they both start with p and so and so now we're on, and all we have to do, all we have to do, really, this, all we have to do uh, to get into the promised land is cross this Jordan River. And uh, the Jordan River, Jordan River starts way up north. In fact, it's formed out of three rivers that come out of the Mount, uh, Mount Hermon. It has three rivers that come. Uh, and then it forms the, the start of the Jordan River, which flows into the Sea of Galilee and then flows out of the Sea of Galilee and into the Red Sea. And so essentially they're on the eastern side of the, 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 the Jordan River between the Sea of Galilee and, and the Dead Sea. Uh, the Jordan River is about 160 feet below sea level. And if you've looked at a Jordan, the picture of the Jordan River lately, then there's places you can almost jump across it. But but this was prior to development and prior to it being uh, uh, siphoned off, if you will. Uh, and so the Jordan River typically was about 30 to 40 yards wide, kind of like if you've ever watched Lonesome Dove when they cross the river, right? It's kind of one of those things. But 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 the text tells us that this is actually um, harvest season. In fact, if you dig deeper, you might want to write this down for point four, uh, but it's the 10th day of Nisan. So this is harvest season. And if it's harvest season, and then the Jordan is flooded. How, how much does it flood? Well, it goes from 40 yards wide to one mile wide. So now we're talking about the flooded Mississippi or the Amazon. It's no longer Lonesome Dove where we can get our horses across. And by the way, we don't have to get a few people across. We've got to get 3 million people across. And a lot of them are kids. And so here they are. <laughs> And, and Joshua's led them, now Moses is dead, and there's a promised land, and there's a Jordan River, and it's uncrossable. And then Joshua comes up with this plan. Hey, we'll just follow the ark. It's not really Joshua's plan, it's actually God's plan. It's like we're going to have the priest, the priest carry the ark. God's presence is always, by the way, looking for a place to rest. Right. Um, when the Philistines steal the ark, they put it on a new cart. Then when David tries to bring the ark back into Jerusalem, he makes the mistake of putting the ark on a new cart pulled by oxen. When, and then that's where Uzzah dies because he tries to steady the ark. And then he does some research and finds out, oh, oh, God's presence can't be carried on man's invention. It's got to be carried on man's shoulders. 
his presence is looking for a place to rest and it will only rest on people. We want further proof of this. Jesus baptized. What happens? The Holy Spirit descends on him like a dove. God's presence is always looking for a place to rest. And so, so here we have the presence of God. And Joshua's like, hey, the presence is going to lead the way. So let's wait for three days. And when you see the priests moving out with the ark, carrying it on their shoulders, give them about a thousand yard head start and fall in behind them. And this is, this is how God's going to, uh, if you think, think about it here, it's, it's, it's like follow God into the promise. There, there's no promise without presence. If, if you want to follow, if you want, if, if you, the presence of God is the proof of the promise of God. And what it's actually happening, he's like, hey, first of all, the parting of the water is going to be the proof that God's with us. But the parting of the water is also going to be the proof that God's going to drive out our enemies. It's a pretty incredible text. Four things. I'll give you four things uh, really quickly you might want to jot down. Number one, number one, I think this is where we have to start. God with you won't look like God with them. God with you won't, you know, I was thinking about this. If you're Joshua, if you're Joshua, all of a sudden you've been commissioned by Moses and then God buried Moses, we know not where. And, and the promise was that as I was with Moses, so will I be with you. Now that sounds good, doesn't it? But if I'm Joshua, I'm thinking, let me think about it. Because I don't recall seeing a burning bush. I don't recall being invited up on Mount Sinai for a 40-day face-to-face meeting. I remember, because I was 20, I had a good memory. Um, I remember when we crossed the Red Sea, Moses, what was that thing he had? Like, Oh yeah, the big staff that he held the staff out and it parted the water. In fact, that was the staff that he touched the water with and it turned. Like, God, you're with me like you're with Moses. Wouldn't a staff be standard issue? I don't have a stick. He had a stick. I want a stick. I want a burning bush experience. I want to see your glory on Mount Sinai. Like, if you're really with me, like, like you were with him, then, then why does this not look the same? I think sometimes we confuse what was promised with how it is proven. That would be a good one to write down. I worked on that one just for you. I do. I think sometimes, sometimes we, we get confused what was promised with how it's proven. Because when you think about it, Moses and Joshua don't do anything the same. It's just not the same. The way, the way that God was, was with Joshua didn't look like the way that God was with Moses but, but the promise wasn't about the way as much as the what. The promise was, I will be with you like him, not it will look like him. And I think sometimes, sometimes in our lives, we, we fall into this foolish trap of comparison when it comes to our relationship with God. And we look, we're like, well, they got a new car and you said you was blessing me. Well, he, he got a promotion. Well, 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 nobody in their family's sick. And I think, you know, Paul told the Philippians, he said, you know, when we compare ourselves with each other, that's not wise at all. 
Because the way that God works in our lives is not the same. And God is, is, is a global God, but an individual God. And he's global promises and individual promises. And, and he has a presence that's consistent, but the way that it's proven in each of our lives is not always the same. And if Joshua would have got discouraged because he's like, I want you to cross the Jordan. And he's like, I don't have a stick. They would still be standing on the wrong side of the river. And I think sometimes we have to free ourselves from the demonic trap of comparing how God works in someone else's life and assuming if we don't see the same thing in our lives, God must not be working at all. While you don't know, they're on the other side of your Instagram comparing how God's working in your life and saying, why isn't he working in my life? Acts 10 tells us that God doesn't play favorites, that he loves everyone. Deuteronomy 31.6, this is Joshua's commissioning by Moses. It says, be strong and courageous. Don't fear or dread, for it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. It's a, it's a promise we quote a lot because the writer of Hebrews quotes it and implies that just as this was God's word for Joshua, that God would never leave him or forsake him, that this is God's word for us as well. That the, the promise is consistent, even though how it's proven is different. See, the consistent promise, John 14, 6, Jesus said, I will pray and I will ask the Father and he will give you a helper who will be with you. Now, I love that because it's helper and it's with you. But here's what I realized. The help I need and the help you need may be different. The promise is the same. How it's proven is different. You may not need, I need a lot of help that you probably don't need. I need more help than you probably need. And so what we have to learn to do is let our discerning of his presence be the proof that we need, not our understanding of his performance. Are are you with me? See, Moses led, if you think about it, they weren't, Moses and Joshua weren't called to do the same thing. Moses, Moses led the people out of Egypt. God, Joshua led them into the promise. Moses led them in the wilderness. Uh, Joshua led them in conquest. Uh, Moses was a great guy. Joshua became a great general. It was the same promise. It was just proven differently. God with you won't look like God with them. Here's the, here's the second thing. God will ask you for more before he gives you more. It's, it's a principle. I, we don't like it, but it's in the Bible. And this is the reality. Here's what it says in verse 5. We read it, but Joshua told the people, consecrate yourselves. Why? Why do we need to consecrate ourselves? Because God wants to do something amazing. I thought God wasn't about performance. He, he, listen, listen. God is not about performance, but he's all about commitment. And, and, and you got to understand that while grace says it's not about our performance... Grace actually demands more of our commitment. Right? It's, it's a higher standard. It's, it's not about, listen, it's, it's not about um, our, our, our performance, but, but it is about our surrender. 
It's, it's about our commitment. And we, and we want God, we're saying, God, I, I want more uh, of, of your blessing. I want more of what you, and God's saying, hey, that's great. Consecrate, as it purify, another word would be separate yourselves from. Here's what God said. You want to go farther, get rid of what's holding you back. You ever think that maybe, maybe God's not holding you back? Maybe it's what you're holding on to that's holding you? Oh, right? I think sometimes like, God, I don't understand. You know, God, you should have blessed me by now. I should have been increased. I should have been healed. I should have been delivered. I should have been free. My family should have had this. And, and, and I think sometimes what we don't look at is the fact that maybe it's not God's hand on your chest holding you back. It's your hand on something that's weighting you down. See, God's presence, um, God's presence will always call us toward purity. It's not a message we love to preach anymore because we love a God who doesn't ask us to change. In fact, we're okay with changing God around our life more so than changing our life around our God. And the truth is that when you put God's presence around anyone, there's going to be change. He is going to call you to purity. He's going to say, hey, separate yourselves, consecrate yourselves, set yourselves apart and sometimes what he's saying is what you're hanging on to may be comfortable for you and it may be something that you like, but what you're hanging on to is what's keeping you from crossing over into what I have promised you. Yeah. I think Paul said it this way. He said, he said Let's, let us set aside every weight and snare uh, and sin that so easily ensnares us. Why, why do we want to set that aside? So we can run with perseverance the race that God has set before us. Here's what God's saying. I have a race for you to run, but if you're going to run the race, they may not. And here's what he's actually saying. You're going to have to let go of everything that can't go with you into the promise. If it can't, if it doesn't work across the Jordan, it doesn't work now. See, we want, we want to get graduated and promoted up and then let go of what doesn't work. And God said, no, you have to let go of what doesn't work so I can help you cross over. Hey, listen, they, I, they're probably a wonderful person. They just don't believe in God. And you can keep dating them thinking they're going to believe in God if you just date them long enough. But what you're, what you need to understand is you're probably just holding on to something that's going to keep you from what God has called you toward. And it may be a job or a position. It may be a desire. It could be anything. But the question is, are you hanging on to something that you're going to have to let go of if you're going to go over into what God has promised you? And we want to negotiate with God to say, how much of this can I take? And what Joshua said, in one version, it says this, divorce yourself from anything that doesn't belong in your promised land. What are you hanging on to today that won't look right in your promised land? Yeah, come on. Yeah. <laughs> Ezekiel, um, not easy E, but easy K, Ezekiel uh, 36, 26. <laughs> this is Ezekiel's prophesying toward the new covenant, but he says, and I'll give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit in you and I'll take um, out of your stony, stubborn heart <laughs> Uh, well, we could talk about that a little bit. That's a lot of S words. Stony, stubborn. Hmm. Hmm. 
I will take out of your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. Now, look at this. And I will put my spirit in you. Now, now what's going to happen here? There's, there's a trade-off. Remember, remember what we said? We, we, we said, if I, God will ask for more before he gives me more. Look at, look at the trade-off. I'm going to put a spirit in you. Why? So you'll follow my decrees and obey my regulations. Now, now why? Why? Watch this. And you'll live in Israel the land I gave your ancestors. Here's what he's saying. It's very simple. You want the promise? I want you. You want the promise? I want you. And if you're going to get the promise, then I'm going to get you. If you're going to get the promise, I'm going to get you. This is what he's, see, you got to understand, God, God is always on a mission to get all of you. That's why he gave you all of him. Bible even says he's given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Peter said that, right? God, God didn't give you half a Jesus or half a Savior on half a cross. He gave you all of him because he is after all of you. We're constantly in a negotiation with how much of, him, how much of me do I have to give to him to get what, what he has promised me. And God's saying, if you want all that I promise, then I get all of you. It's, it's a trade-off. Here's why I'm asking for all of you, because I have a lot to give you. Here's the, here's the third thing you might want to write down. To access his promise, you must follow his presence. To access, here's what it says. We read it, but verse four, then you will know. In other words, you got to follow, you got to follow the Ark of the Covenant. Why, why do we need to follow the presence of God? Why? So he says this, because then you'll know which way to go. Watch this, because you've never been this way before. If you keep following you, you're going to keep ending up where you've always ended up. I might submit to you that if you want to end up in a different place, you need a different guide. See, the truth was, Israel had never been to this place before. They had been to the edge of the promised land, but not here. In fact, Joshua had never been here before. The leader. Like, like one thing I'm convinced of more than ever is, if God is not leading this church, I'm doomed, and so are we all. Because we have gone farther than where I know the map. I, I don't have the map. I'm okay with that. Right? Because it creates a level of dependence and expectation when you can't get to where you need to go. It also creates a tremendous amount of excitement in the journey of finding out how God's going to take you. See, Joshua, Joshua and them, Joshua and Israel, um, when they came the first time, they were actually south of the Dead Sea and they went into the Promised Land, uh, which would be into the west, and then went up through the north exploring the Promised Land. Now, now they're at a northern place and they're literally just going from east to west and they're between the Sea of Galilee and the, and the Dead Sea and here is this Jordan River. So he had never been this way and they had never been this way and what God says is because I'm trying to take you where you don't know how to get you're going to have to trust me to get you there you know most of the time most of the time isn't this kind of the battle that we fight we all want the promise but it's just so hard to trust the ark does it float 
That's, this is a flood stage river. It's, it's roaring. Like if you watch some of the footage from some of the floods earlier this year and you're watching bridges be swept away, this is what this looks like. And I think we're there like, yeah, yeah, I want, but it's so comfortable when I choose the route. It's just that the route I choose, while maybe more comfortable, most likely won't lead me to Canaan. I'll be comfortable in the wrong place. That sounds like a good sermon. I'll preach that one next week. <laughs> I'll, just, I'll be comfortable in the wrong place. And what he says, hey, there is no promise without presence. Listen, you will never get to the promise without God's presence. That's what's sure. You don't believe me? Let's ask Paul, Romans 8. Romans 8, verse 14 and 17 says, for those who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. Who's leading? How do you know who God's kids are? They're the ones with the ark out in front. Same picture, New Testament, Verse 17, and since we're his children, then we're heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. How do we get an inheritance? Those who are led by the Spirit, those who are led by the Spirit are heirs. Where does the Holy Spirit lead you? Into promise. Can I get to promise without presence? No. No. He gave us the presence because he wants us to have the promise. Does the presence cost? Yeah, I've got to purify myself. Yeah, it's going to have to rest on me. Is there a cost to it? Yeah, but there's no way into promise without presence. You can't get into promise without presence. If you want to step into what God has for you, here's, here's the truth. You don't know the way. Listen, everything that God has promised you, let me, let me help you with something. If we're honest, and sometimes humans are really good about lying to ourselves and believing it. Like, we're really good about that. Like, amazingly good. But, but the reality is, is that whatever God has promised you, let me help you with this. He's promised you a good marriage, a family, financial increase, uh, job, business, opportunity, ministry, whatever God has promised you, let me help you with something. You don't know how to get there. And you will wear yourself out trying to get to the promise without the presence. But if you could learn to follow the presence, it would take you through the most improbable places of passage Because see, if you're following yourself and you get to a flood stage river at harvest season that's a mile across and you got about 3 million people behind you and there's lots of kids, if you're the guide, you're going to say, no, this obviously can't be it. It doesn't look right. And then you would miss the proof that God is with you when he parts what's unpartable. When a raging river becomes a red carpet. But you would miss it if you were your guide. Because if you were your guide, you would employ your superior intellect. 
but God's ways are not your ways. No, his ways are higher than your ways. And when you employ your superior intellect, I'm not supposed to take this much time on this point, so apparently I'm helping somebody. Maybe myself. It's good preaching to me. But when you employ your superior intellect, there's a good chance you will guide yourself away from God's promise. Okay, here's the fourth thing. I think you got it. Here's the fourth thing. God's presence today is proof of his promise tomorrow. God's presence. I want you to think about that. God's, why do I need to know that God's here? Why do I need to sense his praise? Why do I need to come into worship? Because, because every time I'm aware of his presence, I'm aware of his promise. His presence today is proof of his promise for tomorrow. See, see the Jordan crossing was not only about proving his presence with them, it was also about proving his promise to them. Watch this. Joshua 3.10. This is how you will know that the living God is among you. Now, how are we going to know God is present? Watch this. He's going to divide the Jordan. How are we going to know? He's going to, sh- he's going to divide the Jordan. That's how we're going to know. And, and this is how you'll know that the living God is among you and will drive out all of your enemies Why? so you can have the promised land. How is that? He's going to divide the Jordan. If his presence divides the Jordan, then the presence then is the proof of the promise that he will drive out the enemies. God, listen, this is what we miss sometimes. If you look, God will prove himself to you. You don't trust me? You don't trust me? Like, oh no, I've been trying to get, if you look, God will prove himself. Malachi 3, that's one way God will prove himself that we don't like at all. Bring all the tithe into the storehouse that there may be meat in my house and prove me with this, says the Lord of hosts. Like, here's what he said. You want to put me to the test? Tithe and see if I don't return it back to you. God's like, I'm okay being proven. I'm looking for opportunity to prove myself to you. And here's what he's saying. Yeah, step, put the ark in the Jordan. And let me prove that I'm with you. And then when you see that I'm with you, you'll have proof of everything I promised you. Why? Because we're talking to a people, remember, who are under the shadow of a doubt. And the doubt is, is there a promise and is he really with us? Now, here's here's what I love. Do y'all like Bible stuff? Like, I don't want to nerd you out on this. I don't, but, but do y'all like Bible stuff? Okay, do you understand that the Jordan River crossing is just a picture of Jesus? Think about it. Joshua, Old Testament derivative or Old Testament type of Yeshua. Jehovah's salvation, right? You shall call his name Yeshua for he will save his people from their sins. That's what we're about to read, right? That's the Christmas text, right? Joshua, Jehovah's salvation. Jordan, wide judgment. Jord, wide, Dan, judgment. Jordan, wide judgment. So here we have the people of God cut off from the promise of God by judgment. The people of God cut off the promise of God by judgment. And then he says this, wait for three days. 
That seems really significant. What was that? Like three days. Oh yeah, on the third day, they came to the tomb and found the stone had been rolled away on the third day. And then it's the 10th day of Nisan. Do you know what happens on the 10th day of Nisan? The Passover lamb is selected for an offering. Freaky much? Right? Do you, like it wasn't the Bible, we'd be like, Ooh. are you with me? It's just, so here, people of God, promise of God, judgment, Yeshua. And Joshua says, I'll divide the river so you can walk across what was impossible. It was impossible to pass, but you'll get to pass over into the promise. Are you with me? Okay, because, because see, we're trying to get out we're trying to wade. They were wading into the river and at the same time wading out of doubt's shadow. Do you see what I'm saying? The way you wait, oh, that's so good. Man, the way, you didn't have to work for it. That's why it's not as valuable to you. But for me, I'm like, that was just a miracle right there. Anyways, but, but you had to wade into the river. But while they're wading into the river, they're wading out of doubt's Doubt's shadow, right? See, for Israel, for Israel, the proof of God's presence was the crossing of the Jordan. For us, it was the coming of Jesus. Like God, just as he proved his presence to them, he has proven his presence to us. Why? Because there's no promise without presence. And, and, and his presence today is proof of his promise tomorrow. And if you have a promise from God, you probably need proof of his presence. Because if you had proof of his presence, if God crossed, if God cut off a Jordan for you, then he's promised you something that he intends to bring you into. And what I'm telling you is this is a picture of how God cut off the Jordan and brought Israel into the promise. And Jesus is actually our, our, our parting of the Jordan River, whereby we step into the is actually the proof of his presence. Don't believe me? Let's ask Paul. Ephesians 1.13. This is what Paul says to the church of Ephesus. And now you Gentiles have also heard the truth, the good news that God saves you. And when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit. The parting of the Jordan was the proof of the presence, the coming of Jesus and your faith in him. He says he gives you what? Presence. Whom he promised long ago, verse 14. The Spirit, watch this, the presence is God's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance that he has promised. For them, it was a Jordan River and, and a guy named Joshua that was the proof of presence and the proof of promise. But for us, it's a different Joshua, Yeshua. It is Jesus who is the proof of God's presence forever with us and the guarantee of everything that God has brought. That is just, that is good. I'm telling you, if you have faith in Jesus, you have proof of presence and proof of promise. I know what you're sitting there thinking now. Some of you, yeah, but, but I hadn't seen it. I hadn't seen it. I hadn't seen it. You want to geek out a little bit more? You want to geek out a little bit more? How about this one? How about this one? Joshua 3.16. <laughs> 
Not John 3.16. Joshua, look at this, look at this, because sometimes we miss exactly how this went down. See, the water above the point began breaking up a great, everybody say a great distance, away at a town called Adam. Okay, here's what you need to understand. See, see, we think, we think. I remember, I remember being, being in, in Sunday school and when they did felt boards, right? You did felt boards and, the, and they put the, the people going through the river, right? And it was like, oh, they could just draw in the water, you know? And like every kid's like, oh, fishy, you know? And, <clears throat> right? and me, I'd probably stepped into the water, you know, and they'd pull me back, back out. But, but you know what's crazy? Is Adam, um, if you think about this, Adam is 19 miles north of where they were. And that's where the water piled up. Can you go outside and look 19 miles? Could you see 19 miles? They never saw the water. Here's my question. Let's just have a little fun with this because I'm only like three minutes over my time. (laughs) Which is somewhat of a record for me. But the priests step in to the water. Joshua said, hey, and we read it, word of the Lord. Hey, have them step into the water and I'm going to stop the flow of the river. Isn't that what he said? Right. Verse 16 tells us that they stepped into the river and he did. He stopped the flow of the water. He piled it up in a heap just as he said. He just did it 19 miles north. How long do you think they had to stand there before the water looked like it was actually going down? It's kind of, just get this picture. Joshua standing up here, no stick. Still no stick. All right, guys, the priest, the priest, you guys head out into the water, and then God's going to cut off the flow. A thousand yards behind him, three million people. They step, oh, just imagine carrying the ark. Oh, God, this is going to see a miracle. And they're squishing in the mud. And they're squishing, and they just get a little ways out there, and they stop, squish down in the mud. And they stop in the mud. Now they're standing in the mud. Turning back, looking at Joshua. (laughs) Children of Israel, three million of them going, Kind of like when there's a traffic jam on I-20 and you're all swerving into the shoulder trying to see what's going on. <laughs> like I thought we were supposed to follow the priest and, and we followed him down here to the bank of the river and we given that thousand meter, you know, thousand yard safety. Okay, and the water's going to stop and water ain't stopping, bro. Joshua, this is how they're going to know you're the leader. I think Joshua's asking for his brown pants. <laughs> yeah. Y'all know that story, right? Where, the, where the, the, the admiral was in a fight and he tells his assistant, bring me my red coat. And he said, why your red coat? He said, because then if I'm wounded in battle, my men won't see it and lose heart. And then the next battle, he's completely surrounded. He's like, bring me my brown pants. I think Joshua's standing there like, I need my brown man. <laughs> it's like Q, think about it, it's like Q elevator music. You know, like they're all like, squish, squish, squish.
I don't know how long it took is the point. Here's what I know. They had to stand in it before they saw it. They had to step in it, but then they had to stand in it. God will prove himself, but sometimes we have to prove him. And God said, I'm going to prove myself to you. And the proof of my presence is the proof of my promise. But if you want to prove my presence and promise, you're going to have to prove me by stepping in and then staying. Because sometimes faith is a step. Right? I mean, faith is a step. Like, well, God, I believe, I believe you're called. You know, I remember when we started the church, it was a, it was a step of faith to start the church. No, no one said they were coming. We didn't have anywhere to meet. We didn't have all this equipment. We didn't have land. We didn't have a staff. We didn't have anything. We had a promise and a presence. And then God said, would you take a step? And we're like, okay. And we, and we took a step and it squished a little. But he said, God, if we step, you're going to part, you're going to part the water. And then it, and then it squished and it, and it squished. And yeah, listen, the water parted. It was cut off, but we couldn't see it yet. And that's what I'm saying. Maybe it's not that God hasn't stopped the flow of what's hindering whatever is hindering your crossing. Maybe he's cut it off in a place. It's just not obvious for you to see. But after you stepped in it just a little bit, some Sometimes there's a step and then sometimes there's a stand, right? Yeah, Paul told the Philippians, you got to stand in the spirit. He told the Ephesians, he said, you got to stand. Having done all to stand, stand. Moses told Israel, we got to stand until we see the south. Sometimes you step, but sometimes you stand. But just because it hasn't stopped flowing doesn't mean he hasn't cut it off. If there's a presence, there's a promise. And the presence is the proof of the promise. If you'll prove the presence, the presence will prove the promise. That's a good preacher. Man, that's, that was good. Oh, y'all stand with me.